Welcome back to another episode of the Better Than I Found It podcast. You're listening to Mike McGraw, the men's golf coach at Baylor. Today's guest is PGA Tour caddy Joe Scovern. Joe has been Ricky Fowler's only caddy during his 12-year professional career, but their relationship goes way back to Ricky's early days of junior golf in San Diego. Joe is a true professional in every sense of the word, and he gives us a real deep dive into the day-to-day life of a caddy on the PGA Tour. Enjoy the listening. Welcome to Better Than I Found It. You're listening to Mike McGraw, the men's golf coach at Baylor. Please join me in welcoming my guest today, PGA Tour caddy Joe Scovern. Joe, thanks for taking the time to be on Better Than I Found It. Thanks for having me, Coach. Absolutely. You know, um, I you've been Ricky's caddy, Ricky Fowler's caddy, for a long time, 12 years, and you're the only caddy he's ever had on the PGA Tour. Um, that's a pretty long professional relationship, especially in the caddy world, wouldn't you say? Yeah, we're getting up there. We kind of keep passing people. And, uh, you know, when some of these caddy player relationships break up, we kind of keep getting higher on that list. So we've got to be one of the uh, longest running ones out there at this point. I think that's great. Well, well, tell me, first of all, how that came about. Um, you know, it's not like all of a sudden you you saw that this uh, young player was getting ready to turn pro and you just called him up and said, hey, I want to be your caddy. It, it goes way back further than that. Tell me about your relationship with Ricky and how that started. Yeah, so I've known Ricky since he started playing golf. My dad's a golf pro, and my mom ran the local junior golf association that we grew up in, uh, Valley Junior Golf. So I kind of watched Ricky grow up. I'm eight years older. Um, I know a lot of people kind of thought when I came out that I was a similar age to him, but I'm not. And so we played some golf over the years and got to know him, and it was, you know, knew him pretty well. I would say I was kind of described it more like a little cousin than a little brother because we didn't spend that much time together, but we spent enough that families knew each other real well. You had that that whole hometown mentality. I tried to play, didn't make it. So just had spent a lot of time with him. And when he was looking around that, that added to it. And um, that's a lot of the reason I ended up caddying for him. And I think part of it as well as I had worked some events for a friend of ours, Charlotte Mayorkas on the LPGA. And I had worked about 12 to 15 events for Brendan Steele out on the web. I wasn't trying to caddy for a living, but um, I'd kind of filled in for both of them because they were friends of mine. So, so to you, that's good. So that wasn't the normal caddy player relationship that didn't, that started at a much younger age. Um, so what's the secret to the longevity? I mean, it's been 12 years. How, what, if you just gave one thing that you'd say, yeah, this is the reason we've been able to stay together in a professional relationship that long. Man, that's tough with coming up with one thing. I mean, I would say from Ricky's side, he's very loyal I think um, we've had, we had a lot of success early on. So I think that helps it out. And I think our personalities balance each other out pretty well. And then I'd like to think from my side that I just always took it very seriously, tried to keep getting better at my job, doing my job the best I could and took it as my profession from the time I got out there rather than just being out there trying to have fun. Yeah, that's, that's a good answer right there. I really appreciate you saying that. You know, I remember meeting you at the 2008 U.S. Open at Torrey Pines. So Ricky and his teammate, Kevin Tway, the roommates, uh, they both qualified for the U.S. Open as freshmen in college. That was pretty amazing. And so I knew I had to be out there to watch. And that probably would never happen again in a career. Uh, 
And I met you out there and you at the time, I didn't know you were going to be Ricky's caddy one day, but you did have a company called Beyond the Links. How did yeah. you get that started? Tell me about that. Yeah, when I uh, was playing mini tours, it just kind of came about, um, you know, golf clothing hadn't really moved in the direction it has now. The Travis Matthew wasn't around, you know, brands like that, you know, Puma doing what they're doing, you know, all the different kind of younger, more of an off the golf course vibe wasn't there. So I was trying to create that. I was trying to create like a Hurley meets golf kind of thing. And um, it never really got anywhere, but it was fun when I did it and I learned a lot from it. So, well, I remember out of that meeting, I think I ordered our pro-am shirts for the wow. coming pro-am. I ordered, we had beyond the links one year, we had beyond the links up there, but that's correct. You know, that's the correct. next time I actually saw you was uh, right after Ricky had turned pro and it was uh, a weekend that you spent with Ricky in Stillwater and you guys played golf. And uh, tell me about that weekend. It came off on the heels of a pretty disappointing week, actually. Yeah, we had, uh, we only had so many starts because he didn't turn pro until after the Walker cup in the fall. And he came out and played really well in Vegas and then almost won at Greyhawk when the fries was there. And, uh, so we were close on trying to get his card, uh, on money at that time. It wasn't based on FedEx points and Mississippi, I believe was the last start we had a chance at. I can't remember if Mississippi was first or Disney was first, but, um, and we went there and just rain all week and they finally canceled it on Saturday morning. We never teed it up. So then, like you said, you know, from that standpoint, it was kind of like, okay, now we got to go to Q school. You know, we were going straight to finals, but still uh, no opportunity to get the card, but came out there. I think you guys were playing Texas. We came out and played nine holes at uh, Carson Creek that Saturday and then uh, went to the game. And that was my only time I've ever been to Stillwater. So it was cool for me to be around you, um, be around the university and, and kind of see the history. Cause I'd always kind of wondered how a Southern California kid would decide on Oklahoma state and uh, <laughs> kind of explained it to me that weekend. I, I understood it a lot better. Are you sure it wasn't just great recruiting? <laughs> <laughs> that could have been it. <laughs> well, I don't think it was great recruiting. Well, but anyway, I do think that that weekend I, it wasn't formal, and I know I wasn't hiring you, but I was sort of doing a job interview with you that weekend. I was kind of looking to see, because I thought I knew it was going to be really important who Ricky had as a caddy out there. And after talking to you the whole weekend, spending time around you, I thought to myself, gosh, this guy's perfect for Ricky. He's going to allow Ricky to be Ricky. And so I signed off immediately. I thought you'd be great. And here we are 12 years later. Am I accurate in that? Have you allowed Ricky to be Ricky in that state? Yeah, I think there was uh, there's a lot of balance along the way when you're caddying of trying to help the guy out, but then also let them be themselves. And I remember a few instances kind of right off the bat. I remember one in Columbus that I've told people a lot about. And, you know, depending on who you've caddied for, or what golf you've seen, you know, Ricky was different. And as you know, he's his talent level and the way he saw things was so different than other people. And so different, even though I'd been around him when you're actually making the decisions on the shots with him, that changes things. And I remember one shot, I believe it was on number 10. We were in the right trees at the Ohio state course in Columbus when he was still playing as an amateur and he almost won there. And that was the first time I'd caddied for him. And he saw this opening in the trees that like, I wasn't even paying attention at that level where it was at the height and how small the gap was, I was thinking we just need to pitch it out. 
And I'm like, okay, you just got to let them go in these instances sometimes, see what it's like, especially early on, kind of get a feel for it. And he pulled this shot off like it was no big deal at all. And I kind of went, wow, all right, this guy's definitely different. You know? well, I'm glad you said that. But I saw that when I walked with him when he was at Oklahoma State, I didn't walk with him so much to as to coach him as to just learn. He, this is a different way to look at the game of golf. It was yeah. completely different. And I enjoyed that. And I'm, I'm glad I got to do it. But, you know, you guys have had an amazing run. So a really good run. And I know there's a lot ahead of you. Um, and you just mentioned you, you he saw this this gap in the trees and you just went ahead and let him hit it. But I know there's been times when you've had to have some sort of confrontation. It hasn't been perfect all the way through. I, in fact, I'll tell you about one with Ricky, his second year at Oklahoma state, we were in Atlanta playing in the tournament and, you know, his game was good. He was in contention just about every week, but his putting hadn't been as good recently. And every day I kept hearing him talk about bad putting and bad putting and, and uh, I just kind of finally got tired of it. And he shot 72 or whatever the first round. And I overheard him talking to one of his teammates. And literally, I had had zero confrontation with Ricky for two years, none. And he didn't give you any reason to confront him. But I was upset with the putting comments. So I pulled him aside and I said, Ricky, do you still want to play pro golf? And he said, yeah, why? And I go, because if you keep talking like that, you're not going to be playing pro golf. One day, you will not be a good putter. And you're one of the best putters I've ever seen. And he kind of kind of thought this, he's chewing me out. And um, I walked away and uh, he, we didn't talk about it again on that trip, but he never talked about bad putting again. So my question for you is, have there been confrontations like that? Not major ones, but have there been some like that? Oh, yeah, we've had a few along the way. I think that's one thing that I think the outside doesn't understand that even if you're close, even if you're tight, you know, it's just like, you know, guys in the NFL, they're going to get in confrontations on the sideline. And that doesn't mean that there's necessarily a problem, right? You emotions are running high, your competitors. Um, and it definitely happens with players and caddies and yeah, Rick and I don't get in a lot. Um, we're both pretty calm and not really into getting into the confrontation part, but we've definitely had some, where we disagreed on something and I was pretty adamant about speaking my mind or he was adamant about his or, or he was frustrated or I was frustrated. And we definitely have those times. Um, you know, it's probably happened a handful of times out there. And then we've had to have hard talks as well. You know, there's times where things aren't going well and you're trying to kind of figure out what's not meshing and, you know, whether, you know, whether the way I'm talking to him isn't working or whether he's kind of turned me off or whatever it is. And we have to kind of straighten it out and get it back on track. So you're not, you're not uncomfortable with just telling him the truth as you see it. Yeah. I mean, I think you have to be comfortable. You got to pick and choose your times as a caddy. There's no doubt, you know, you have to, and that's one thing I've always thought was very important caddying is it's not about you. It's about them. So you have to, just because you have a problem with something, you can't just go ahead and say that at all times because it's not about you. It's, Hey, is this going to actually do him good? Am I saying this to make him better or to make him better right now or to improve our relationship so that we, so that he can play better and we can do better. So you have to pick and choose those times. Definitely. I think you have to do that as a college golf coach as well. You know, there's, yeah. it's not, you can't just say everything all the time. Sometimes you have to pick your spots. So I'm glad to hear you say that it's, it was a, a good learning experience for me when I learned that quality. Um, 
So what's Ricky's best qualities? I mean, he's obviously really talented. So we know the talent is a quality, but what, what are some of his other qualities that you see that really make him successful? Well, I mean, other than, you know, doesn't really have to do with the playing part, but I think part of the reason he is so popular um, is because he's such a nice person and he's so willing to give up his time and go play pro-ams and remember people's kids and sign the autographs and do all those things. So that shows what kind of person he is. As a golfer, I think his strengths have kind of evolved and changed. I thought when he first came out, one of the biggest things was just that he never got bothered by bad golf. You know, he always, if he shot 75, he didn't worry about it. You know, we'd go straighten it out for 10 minutes on the driving range after, and then he thought he was going to shoot 65 the next day. I think that changes as you get older and you get out there, um, you know, you kind of develop some golf scars, no matter who you are, you know, um, Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Jordan Spieth, the greats of the game all have some scar tissue from golf. Um, I think over time, the things that jump out, I mean, he does something so well, if you're getting specific in the game, I mean, you watched it at Oklahoma state, when you get him off of a lie around the greens that, you know, that he can hit a nip shot. I mean, he's unbelievable. He can hit some shots that you've never seen. He obviously has driven it very good for most of his career. Um, and then there's the putter, right? I mean, even mm -hmm. though the last year and a half hasn't been his normal putting, if you look overall, the putter's kind of his superpower um, to me that, you know, he's led the tour in putting and just the putts that he can make and the way he rolls it. And just even when he's not making putts, the way that people see the way he rolls it and strokes it and how free it is, it's a pretty special quality. I always envied the fact that he could hit four and five footers with the, the pace that he hit it with, because that would have scared me to death. Yeah. But just showed you what kind of belief system he had and conviction he had in putting. Um, I would add one thing, not to interrupt. Yeah. Sorry. I think the other thing um, is, you know, when you've watched him in the past, when he gets to those last two or three holes or gets in a playoff or something, his ability to put the fear factor aside and put the foot on the gas that's a special quality too. I mean, you can't really teach that. So, um, and he's, he's always had that in those moments. I agree with that. I, I saw that a lot when he was at Oklahoma state as well. You know, one early year in his career, it was right before a Ryder cup. He was in contention at the tour championship and shot 77, the final round. And he'd had a plan to come to Stillwater and spend the week before the Ryder cup. So it must've been 2012. I think I'm not sure what year it was, but, but I do know this, uh, he just shot 77 and kind of didn't finish that tournament well. And 15 minutes later, I got a call from him and said, Coach, you still have that ride for me at the Stillwater Airport when I get in tonight. And I go, shouldn't you be over punching a wall or something? <laughs> <laughs> he had already moved on to the next thing. I just, that, I used to think that's, that can't be real. But he beats himself up briefly and then he's on to the next great opportunity. Would you agree with that? Cause that's the way I saw it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a huge strength. I, I think this game beats you up so much that if you, you know, there's a balance between going and working at it and, and caring and, you know, they all want to be successful, but then there's that balance of not beating yourself up too much about it, not getting worked up, not letting it affect the next day, not letting it affect your life. And I think he's always been balancing that. Yeah, I would say that that's for sure. So I'm going to ask two questions. One is what is your most, uh, what's your greatest moment 
caddying in the last 12 years? And then I want you to answer what is your most disappointing moment for you personally? Yeah. I mean, I would say that the two things, I have two that stand out for me. I mean, the run that he won the 2010 round up being a rookie and, you know, not having won a match to that point that week and playing in the singles and the Ryder Cup on the line. And, you know, he was four down with six to go or whatever he was and the putts that he made on 17 and 18 to get the tie and to send it back to the final match uh, with all that pressure on him. I mean, that was just a really cool experience, even though we didn't end up winning that Ryder Cup, just seeing him perform in that moment and do that. And I'd say the other one for me, I mean, actually it'd almost be three because the second one would be players. Oh yeah. The way he did that. I mean, just birdie in 17, all those times the drives he was hitting it up 18 and that's a big event, And you know, that's our biggest win. But the third one in there would be Phoenix because one, I live in Scottsdale Two, we'd come so close in that event. We'd had heartbreaks and, you know, he was due to win that. And then the way that it happened with everything that happened on number 11 and him getting it together and finishing the way he did, to me, those are kind of the three that stand out. Yeah, Phoenix stands out for me. Um, well, the first one that stood out for me would have been when he won at in North Carolina his, for his first tour victory. Yeah. You know, I actually cried that day because I knew how badly he wanted that and how much that meant to his career. But in, in Phoenix in 2018, the way he was able to compose himself, that was pretty impressive. So. Yeah. I, it doesn't surprise me that would have been one of your best moments. So what would be one of the most disappointing things? For me, the one that stands out for whatever reason um, was Valhalla at the PGA Championship when Rory won. That one, I just felt like, I mean, one, I felt like the winner was coming from our group, the way that everything was going. It was Phil and Ricky. And going into that back nine, I thought that was Ricky's moment to win a major. And I thought that was the one that, we kind of had right there in front of us and just, you know, the way it went down on 18, it was kind of getting dark. We let them hit up and just everything that kind of went down with that event. To me, that's the most disappointing. I mean, some people would pick out Augusta, but that second at Augusta, Rick did everything he could. So mm -hmm. yep. he finished so well, he hit the great shot on 18. He did all these things that just didn't work out. So to me, that wasn't disappointing. That was, that was more like, okay, we know he can do this, you know, kind of a thing. It just didn't work out. But the Valhalla one with that year finishing top five in all the majors and the way it went down, I just felt like that was the one that we could have gotten. So we know that Ricky's disappointed when those things happen and you're disappointed when those things happen. So you're a competitor. How much of a competitor, I mean, how does it affect you? If it affects Ricky and he gets over it quickly, do you get over it quickly? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think you're you're disappointed for a little while after the round and then you move on. I mean, you just kind of go through. For me, I try to go through all those disappointing ones. You know, like when we lost Phoenix in the playoff, the one year order, I try to go through what could I have done better? Not what could the result, how could the result have changed? But, hey, you know, like we had an unfortunate bounce there and I had talked him into driver there for the people that don't remember. It was the 71st hole. And I talked him in the driver and hits the downslope, kicks over the green and goes in the narrowest area and goes in the water. He comes back and birdies 18, gets into a playoff. So we still have a chance. But I went through that in my mind that whole night. Like, could I have said something there? Did I not? Did I miss something? Did I not go through it? And I even talked to Butch about it. And we kind of came up with no, like we went through the process the way we needed to, did everything right. Like it just didn't work out. And then there's other times where maybe I didn't, you know, maybe 
we got in a rush going through our process or, you know, we didn't figure in all the factors or things like that. And my job is to make sure that we're looking at everything from a objective standpoint as much as possible and making the decision with all, with all the options out there, right? If I don't give him an option or we don't, or I miss something or don't see something, then that's me not doing my job. So do you, uh, keep statistics or journal or pay attention to his statistics. Tell me about that because I think you're probably pretty analytical that way. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a numbers guy. I get in, I've gotten into the analytics part a decent amount. I've, I've had a lot of help from Mark Brody the last few years. I read his book when he kind of was first coming on the scene and the strokes game thing was coming in. So there was a lot of talk with him, especially early on and sending him kind of numbers and, getting his opinion back and forth. And then I would kind of go through it with him and then I'd take whatever I thought was important to Rick. And I kind of try to do that. We do a lot of that on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, we kind of learned early on that we shouldn't be having debates about clubs off tees or how to play a hole in the middle of the round. Cause then you might make an emotional decision. Um, so there's a lot of, Hey, I think we should play this hole this way. Or, Hey, the analytics say that this is the way to play the hole. And then it's adjusting that, to fit Rick, right? Like what are Rick's strengths? What does he do well? What does he see? And even if a analytics say this is a driver hole, if he just doesn't see it, or there's a certain wind that he doesn't want to do that, you know, and he's going to get a three wood in the fairway every time, then we're going to lean towards hitting the three wood. Um, but we'll talk about that, you know, where aim lines are, things are like that. And then at the end of each year, we kind of take the stroke scan statistics and get together and, Hey, where, we, where can we get better? where did we improve? You know, what do we need to do to kind of take it where we want to? You, you know, his rookie year at Phoenix, when he lost that playoff to Hunter Mahan, he laid up on that par five. I think he was 240, maybe could have got, and he got a lot of criticism for that. But as I recall, he was the number one wedge player on the PGA tour that year. And you guys were playing to his strength there. Is that what wow. actually happened at that time? Yeah, so that way that week, I believe he actually led the field in par five scoring that week. And we had decided that there was too many times where we were in between going and not that we would just push it up there and get ourselves in a tough spot. And like you said, at that time, he was wedging it so well. We had actually made the decision pre-tournament that on 15, he that second shot's pretty uncomfortable, especially in a big moment. And there's not a lot of margin for error. And we had decided that if he could not get an actual four iron to the middle of the green, that we weren't going for that hole. Um, if we had four or five iron in, we were going. But when it came to hybrid, it was like, okay, we're going to lean towards not going. And uh, so we didn't go laid up. Pretty easy wedge shot to that front pin, for especially for a guy like him who just didn't pull it off, missed it just short there, kind of had a shot from the fringe. I, I can't remember if he putted or chipped it, to be honest. Um, so that was kind of a pre-tournament decision. Um, the interesting thing is that the later that year after the Ryder Cup, I was chatting with Tiger about it. And uh, it's pretty interesting to get the GOAT's perspective on something um, when when you're talking that through. And I was talking to him from a caddy standpoint, player standpoint, like what you would do there. And he was adamant that you go and you hit the correct shot. Um, so it's just interesting getting the different perspectives. And it also shows you why Tiger's Tiger. He told me, he said, you always hit the proper shot, not the comfortable shot. 
And that's probably why he's won 82 or 83 times in all those majors. <laughs> and he's got the ability to do that. Right. So that's a learning process along the way um, for us that, you know, especially early on where we were kind of getting in those situations for the first time and trying to learn how to handle. What, what a mentor for Ricky and you uh, to have Tiger over the years. Cause I know you guys have been close to him. Uh, tell me, I mean, has that been a big advantage for Ricky? Uh, yeah, I think being around Tiger just is is great. And he's down there in Jupiter and everything else. Um, I mean, I haven't had a whole lot of golf talks with Tiger. That was one of the few. I know Phil really helped Ricky a lot early on, like playing practice rounds with Phil, spending all that time with Phil uh, made a big difference for Rick playing the Tuesday games and learning things from him. And I just think, you know, Rick gets along with pretty much everybody and being around any of those guys and anything you can take from them when they've been so successful is always going to help you. And then for me on the caddy side, being around Bones and LaCava and Fluff and all those guys and kind of picking up things off them really helped me as well. That's good. So it's the same thing. So you, uh, being a caddy, you've been out there 12 years. You actually have a doctorate in sports psychology. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> caddies are sports psychologists. There's no doubt about it. So Tell me, uh, tell me how, is that the case for you? And if so, what are you able to help Ricky with on that front? Yeah, I think, I mean, I'd kind of had a little bit of a coaching background and, you know, coached college golf for a year and coached some high school football after I got out and, you know, being a sports guy, I think that was, that always interested me. And then having playing experience myself, um, you know, trying to make it and, but, and not making it and realizing what I didn't have and just being in tournament situations that, you know, whether it's a junior golf tournament or it's an amateur event and it's national or local, you still get the same feelings. So I think that's a big part if you've played competitive golf, just being able to understand the feelings they're going through and some of the nerves that are going through them and what doubt can creep in there and what you can be thinking about. And then, yeah, just day in and day out trying to balance you know, keeping their mind right and keeping them thinking about the right things and not the wrong things and, and talking to them in a certain way. And, when, you know, the good thing for me is I've been around my guys so long that you kind of learn how they work and what they need because everybody needs something a little bit different. So is there any, is there any mantra that the two of you have that you say when, when there's time or is there anything like that? We don't really have a mantra. We had, we had some things early on. Um, I know one of the things we really focused on early on was, making sure he didn't start walking too fast or processing too fast. So we kind of had a rule for a while that we were in contention that he had to walk behind me. And so, you know, I could slow us down or speed us up or do whatever I needed to do. And then that'll still be the tendency to sometimes he wants to go, go, go. And so there's that balance of, you know, getting him playing reactionary golf, but then also like, did we spend the, enough time going through the process before that and then you go into the reactionary so we're always kind of balancing that and then he doesn't need a whole lot anymore you know like there was a lot I had a lot more I was a lot more vocal in between shots and kind of pumping him up and a little bit more of a coach early on and now he there has, isn't a situation he hasn't been in so you don't have to say a lot to him you know, I'd have a little talk before a round or something or maybe at some point during a round but it's not a lot so the last year and a half or so, as Ricky struggled a little bit relative to his other performance, first of all, I think it's a little unfair. I mean, he did finish 13th at Memorial. He finished eighth in the PGA. He was leading a few weeks back. So it's not like he's been void of good golf. He's had plenty. It's just not what the pundits say he ought to have. So uh, have you been more 
kind of uh, attuned to what maybe he's might reading in social media or what he's hearing? Yeah, I think we've, you know, we've had some sit downs and I think, I think it's been, I think it's been tough, you know, when you're, when you're in the spotlight as much as he is and you have all these expectations on you that other people put on you and then you have your own expectations and then you have the expectations of the people around you and the team and what I think he can do and what his agent thinks he can do and, um, you know, swing coach thinks he can do and then it gets going sideways and, you know, when you're a guy that's never really struggled your whole life, you know, I mean, he's been so good at every level. It's tough when you're doing that in front of everybody. And I think um, it's been kind of tough for all of us, like trying to figure out the path out of it. And like you said, there's been signs of good golf, but it just hasn't been, it was so not that it was easy for him. He made it look easy for so Mm -hmm. long because he just played well all the time, you know, it was, you know, eights and tenths and elevenths were just normal for him, you know, and I've even caught myself because I'm always the guy that's looking like, what else can we do? How do you get to the next level? Where, where do we make changes? What do we do? Like, how do we go win more and go win majors and go do all these things and get to number one in the world. And sometimes you have to kind of take a step back and go, okay, like, let's, let's just take care of what we can. Like sometimes, you know, things happen in their own time and how can we keep getting better at a little, at a, you know, slow pace and, you learn from that. Um, but yeah, as far as everything's gone, it, it, it definitely, I think it's, it's, it's been a tough couple of years as far as that goes and the expectations and everything there. Um, but I feel like he was showing signs of coming out of it. And then CJ cup kind of showed that like, Hey, the game's there it's physically there, you know, he makes a few more putts and he wins the golf tournament. And uh, so you feel really good about things going into next year of, where he's been at and just watching him day in and day out more than the finishes, just the quality of golf shots he's hitting and how he's playing. Yeah. And I, I choose to, I always err on the side of being positive. That's just me. I don't know any other way, but people ask me all the time, you know, what's wrong with Rick? Nothing's wrong with him. He's yeah. fine. He'll get out of this and he'll be great. And plus there's enough good golf sprinkled in there that you, you can't, you can't help, but think it's going to come back for him. So I'm not worried. Yeah, um, so life as a caddy. I remember when I was 43, I was the assistant golf coach to Mike Holder at Oklahoma State. And Hunter Mahan was having one of the great years in collegiate golf history, just playing amazing golf. And at one point, Hunter intimated that it would be great if I could go on tour with him when he turned pro. And literally, I spent an entire weekend praying about it and thinking about it and talking to my wife about it. And as I look back on it, I'm glad I didn't make that decision. For one, I was already 43. You started caddying at what age? Uh, let's 20. see. Yeah, I would have been, when I went out there with him, I guess it would have been 28 or 29. 28 or 29. So you were a young man. Yeah. So I was in good shape for 43, but I was, it was going to eventually get me, I'm sure. But how many weeks on the road are you on the road every year? And are you working out? You look like you probably do, but wouldn't you have to work out to stay in shape to carry that golf bag? Yeah. So first, we've probably average if you looked at around 25 weeks a year on the road so there's been some you know early on it was kind of 30 and then we've had other years where it's 20 or 21 Uh, but it seems like it's been around that 25 mark and as far as the working out yeah i take it pretty seriously with my health and everything else just trying to keep my body together it's you know carrying that bag's hard on you some of these older guys that are out there i'm amazed at how long they go and how little they did fitness wise and everything else and they just keep going and uh, it's pretty impressive but yeah definitely you know, like anything you do in life that 
you know, is one-sided or is, you know, some somewhat uneven or anything that's hard on your body. Like you have to do things to kind of prevent that so that you don't have long-term issues and, and things of that nature. So can you see yourself doing this 20 years from now? I mean, I, I definitely can. I think it just kind of going to have to see how it goes along the way. I don't, I don't know if I want to be out there at, you know, I mean, that would get me to 60. I don't know if I want to be out there at 60 or not, but that'll just kind of depend on, you know, where we're at with Rick, what he's doing, um, how things are there and um, just kind of make decisions from there, I guess. You should take Fluff Cowan out to dinner and, and ask his opinion. I bet he would, I bet he'd have an opinion. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you know, like bones, I'm, I'm tight with bones and he's so glad he's back. He's so excited about it, you know? So, um, you know, there's definitely, there's definitely something about it that, uh, you know, we're very fortunate with our job and, um, it's a special kind of job. It's not just a, the normal nine to five, you know? Well, you know, I talked about you being a sports psychologist, whether you wanted to be one or not, you are, but like, what are, what are some of the great qualities you have to have in order to be a caddy? Because I think some people think it's just carrying a bag and it's way more than that. Yeah, I think, well, number one, I think no matter who you're working for, I think just, you know, being reliable. Like that's one thing I've taken pride of is that I've been available every single day that he has needed me for the 12 years. I've never taken a day off. I've never missed um you know, and there's going to be extenuating circumstances and I've been fortunate enough, you know, uh, to not have those things yet. But um, I think reliability, you got knowing your guy doesn't have to worry about you being on time. Your guy doesn't have to worry about you getting there. He doesn't, he doesn't have to spend time worrying about you. Uh, I think that's number one. And then number two, it's just going to depend on who you're working for. I mean, I think golf knowledge is huge. Like, like I mentioned earlier, I think playing experience is big uh, when you get into those moments of, you know, trying to make cuts or win tournaments and those kind of things. And then I just think like anything in life, you know, preparing and being ready and, um, you know, just having the answers that they're going to need so that they're not worried about that. And they know you're taking care of things. Um, those would be the things I would say. And then I think there's those special kind of things, you know, like Michael Greller would be a great example. He just really knows how to talk to Jordan Spieth and their, their back and forth is so good. And knowing how, what makes Jordan work, he's gotten so good at that. And he understands that so well. I think that's their big thing. And I think that that can help a lot of guys out too. I think when I was young, so I was growing up and I would see caddies on tour. There were a few long-term caddies. Lee Trevino had one. Jack Nichols had a long-time caddy. Um, but you didn't think of caddies being professionals then you yeah. thought of them as just being bag toters and they're kind of roused about and they had kind of edgy backgrounds, but I think you guys are professionals now. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think it's, I kind of came in when it was in that process of, of changing. And I think the bones fill relationship to me is the one that kind of changed it the most. Um, you know, you started seeing Bones on commercials and, you know, Phil talked about him so much and it was such a big part of things. And you see the way Bones handled himself. And I think he kind of is the example of that to me. But I think just like anything, the purses have gone up and it's become a career. So there's guys that have college degrees that could be working, you know, jobs on Wall Street or doing something, in, you know, high up insurance or something that wouldn't just be a normal paying job 
uh, that are choosing to come out here and do this because of the possible money gain and reward and you're getting to be around the game of golf and getting to do all these things. Okay. I uh, agree with that. You are professional. There's no question in my mind. What's your greatest challenge as a caddy? I mean, like really, this is, this is a difficult thing. I think for me, it's just the biggest challenge is knowing that you're getting your point across the way you want to and talking to them in a way that they hear you. Um, you know, I'm confident that I've prepared and I've got the right information. It's delivering that at the right time in the right way and making sure that you're, that you're doing that for your player, that they're actually kind of hearing what you're saying and why you're saying it um, so that they understand it and it makes them play better. Um, I would say that's probably the biggest one for me. I like that. Um, I remember talking with Sean Foley and he told me when he took the job to be Tiger's swing coach, he took the job thinking, I'm going to say what I really believe. I don't care if I get fired. I want to, I want to give my best of who I am. So going in there and trying to tiptoe around is not going to work with Tiger. So I remember him saying that and I thought to myself, that's a big risk he was taking but he wanted to be the best he could be. Do you see any of that in being a caddy and the way, what you have to do to try to help a player? I mean, you want to, you tiptoe around on things or are you just direct about it? Yeah, I think, I think there's a balance cause I'm a pretty direct guy. Um, so I think there's a balance. You can't just always be the guy that's barking at them and just saying whatever you feel. Um, but I think you can't just be a yes man either. Um, if you're just going to be a yes man, then they might as well just have anybody on the bag it's going to be out there and just go play golf. Um, so you've got to have your moments that when they, something needs to be said to them, you say it. And, you know, when you've got an opinion that's strong on a way you should play a hole or a club or something like that you're, that you're confident in it and you portray that. Excellent. So what is the biggest part for, of being a caddy? I mean, like this is the coolest thing about being a caddy. I mean, the coolest thing for me is when you're in contention on Sunday. I mean, there's nothing like it. That's that's what you caddy for. That's what you play for. That's what you're out there for. Um, but in addition to that, with the guy that I've worked for, you know, the perks are just what it's done for my life and just um, the lifestyle I get to live and the people I've met because of it and, you know, people I've been around and what my norm is compared to what my norm would have been uh, without this. Um, I'm very fortunate and it's, uh, it's been very cool. Yeah. Gratitude. That's an appealing quality right there. I like that. Uh, so you mentioned bones, you mentioned fluff. We know you as caddy Joe. So <laughs> what, are, what are the, what is another great caddy nickname on tour that some people may not know about? Oh man. I'm trying to think of that. Um, Seventy-five years ago, Gene Sarazen had a caddy named Stovepipe. You know, <laughs> there's just been all kinds of caddy yeah. names. You, do you have any others out there? I'm trying to think of ones off the top of my head. Um, uh, you know, there's a great one, um, Greg, that has caddied off and on for Louis Oosthuizen and other guys. Um, he's not caddying for him right now. I think he's he's back home. Um, he moved the family to Australia and he's back there, but they call him helpful because he had the umbrella out one day way back and 
he left the umbrella over the player when he made the stroke and they got penalized for it rather than moving <laughs> out of the way. So everybody calls him helpful and he's just always been called helpful ever since. And he's obviously a great cat. He's been around forever and um, worked for great players, but he just had that one moment and it's kind of stuck with him and everybody calls him helpful. All right. Perfect. Okay. Listen, I know you're on in the middle of, or in the beginning of a 10 week stretch where you're going to be at home, I guess in Arizona, just hanging out, playing golf, working out, relaxing. Um, this is this the longest stretch you will have had as a caddy off pretty much? Yeah, other than you know, we've had a couple these last few years, we hadn't had any stretches like this, but then we took a decent amount of time off that would have been close to this when he got married and then COVID hit, so we had that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it, this would be the second or third biggest break we've ever had. Normally, it's kind of like a six week off season, it's not normally this long. What will you do to fill the time? I'm going to play some golf. The weather's perfect out here. I'll get in the gym. I watch a lot of football. So that uh, fills up the weekends and then uh, got some house projects and I'm, I'm doing, I'm not really a handyman, but just kind of trying to get some things tightened up around here. And then uh, one of the things I'll do for work is um, from a green reading standpoint with the green books going out, mm -hmm. um, I'm going to look at some different ways. I, I was, I use the green book quite a bit with the system I use. So I've got to kind of look at some things and see if I need to go do some aim points or other ways to identify slope a little bit better and just how I'm going to do that because I had that the whole time that was kind of like a cheat sheet for me that I knew why would I have to figure out the slope? I've got it right here. And then based on my reads off the system I use. So there'll be a little bit of that with, with um, the work part too. But other than that, I'll just be kind of trying to enjoy time and spend time with friends and do all that stuff. Good for you. Good for you. We'll enjoy that break. Uh, so before we finish, what would you say, can, can you, um, I know you said you don't know how much longer you'll do this, 20 years maybe, you might be 60 doing it or whatever, but what can you see going forward for you and Ricky as far as uh, success, what's in the future, what's it look like to you? Yeah, I thought, I thought this fall was big. I thought the CJ Cup was big for him. So I see him turning things around, the putter getting hot and, um, you know, hopefully just get back to where we were and then taking another step from there. That was our whole thing during these two years that I kept trying to reinforce with him is, hey, we're not doing this to get back to where we were. We're doing this to get better and take another step. These guys are all getting better out here. It's getting tougher. Um, so I'm hoping that uh, that that's really what happens and you're starting to see signs of it, of iron shots that he hits that were different than what he did and, and things of that nature. And I think he's getting an understanding where his golf swings at. And, um, I feel pretty good about where he's at. He's taken the gym seriously and his nutrition and he's taken a lot of steps and then, you know, he's going to be a father. So, mm -hmm. um, I think that's going to be nothing but positive for him and, uh, just good things to come. Well, Joe, I sure, certainly appreciate, uh, what you've done for Ricky through the years. He's really special to me, obviously, but, um, I just, as I said, going back to 2009 when I first met you, or actually when I when you first came to Stillwater, and I, I realized you were the, the right man for the job, and I still think that today. So keep keep it going forward. Well, I appreciate that, Coach, and I appreciate all the little texts and support along the way, and uh, good luck to the team. All right. Thanks so much. We'll see thanks. you next time. Thanks.